0: morning, welcome to Crossroads, if you're new here, also if you're new here, tell somebody that you're new, because not everybody knows everybody, and so uh, just take a moment afterwards and say, hey, I'm new. And if you're not new here and somebody says that to you, say, hey, do you want to be friends? Or, uh, hey, do you have any questions? Or anything like that. I mean, as the family grows, we all just need to learn how to be more hospitable, If you are new here at this point, you'd like to, to study the Bible. Lately, we have been, well, since the fall, looking at a book of the Bible that talks all about the life and the journey and the ministry of Jesus. It was written by a man who was among the first generation of believers. His name is Luke, so we call the letter, the gospel according to Luke. So please turn to Luke. It's about three quarters of the way through your Bible Right after Mark, before John, page uh, 7, well, uh, since Easter we've been to uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12, so turn to chapter 12. Today we're going to finish uh, studying chapter 12, it's 59 verses, and so I don't know if this is a word or not, but my dad used to say, uh, you're wallering around like a pig, and I feel like today would be a great time for me to just waller around in this chapter a little bit uh, because it's so big, sometimes we just need to waller around and get covered in it a little bit and step back and see what you look like and what's actually going on in this chapter. Uh, so I'd like you to look at the first verse of Luke chapter 12. In verse 1, Luke brings us into kind of a dramatic situation. He says, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands have gathered so that they were trampling on one another. Now this is a great place to just get ourselves into the situation, the environment of Jesus' teaching here. It's also a great time to say this is pretty common for the Middle East— Personal space isn't a very high priority. Trampling over one another is something that happened even today, periodically, as you go to the grocery store. Um, And so I know that we in the West have great boundaries and manners, and it's not very easy for us to get into this scenario where we're trampling over one another, because I mean, even in, in here, there's so many of us, but we just walk down the aisle on opposite side of each other and Everybody gets out of everybody's way but just try and somehow connect to this story. Maybe on a day like Black Friday. And you're in a grocery or you're in a, you're in a store and you have to get this thing, okay? I don't know what it is, but substitute 50% off blender for Jesus and then just, you know, you're already in the story or the red rope, the velvet red rope has just been unhooked and your favorite band is back there. And if you don't move forwards, you're going to be trampled. Substitute you two for Jesus and then you're in the story. This is kind of a dramatic scene. Thousands upon thousands are gathering, trampling each other, trying to get close to Jesus. It's tense. Not just by the volume of people, but also because it's a diverse group. I mean, who's all there? Well, let's think about this for a second. Jesus has 12 disciples, so he's got these disciples that are around him. There's a greater group of people that have been following him from the beginning also that are around them. They're the political religious party of the Pharisees that are peppered in there. There are the religious theolo- theological experts called the lawyers who are peppered in there also. And I would imagine many people who are sick or have uh, some sort of problem and they're just waiting with bated breath to touch a tassel or to get to him and somehow be healed. And then there are also people who are skeptical and are standing there waiting for him to mess up and kind of believe that he's in league with the devil and that he casts out demons by the power of the devil. Those people are there also. And Jesus is right in the middle of all this. It's kind of an intense moment. And he starts this teaching that's happened at the beginning of chapter 12 and goes and escalates all the way to the end And he begins by saying, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisee, which is hypocrisy. This is a very important thing to Jesus. It starts to escalate up up and up throughout the rest of the chapter. The leaven of the Pharisee. This is an attack on Judaism or Pharisees. This is an attack on hypocrisy. He sees people. He just had a very awkward dinner the night before or recently with some Pharisees and lawyers who he sees as being hypocrites. Hypocrisy, if, if you boil it down, is essentially pre- pretending. Pretending. Oftentimes we use it as somebody pretending they have a value, but then in their life, it does, it, their life doesn't communicate that they have a value. You know, they put that on somebody else, but they won't put it on themselves, so think back to chapter 11, when he has this dinner with the Pharisees. He says in verse 39, you're like pretending to be all clean and pure, but you're like a cup that's just washed on the outside. you got filth and dirty all inside of you. You're just pretending to be clean. Verse 41 and 42, you're giving to the poor and pretending to be generous and charitable, but all, all the while you're really giving to get. Verse 43. This is the sad one. You go into church, you go into the marketplace, and you love to get high fives, and you love people to greet you, and and puff you up, and make you look important, and you're just pretending to be important. It's sad, because people don't even know that they're helping you sin. That's what that phrase, you're like an unmarked grave means. People don't even know that they're becoming unclean by walking over it. They don't even know that they're helping you in your hypocrisy. He attacks uh, or lays into the lawyer, the, theological, the, 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 the expert theologian. In verse 46, he says, um, What does verse 46 say? You experts, you load people up with these heavy burdens. You yourselves aren't even willing to lift a finger. You claim that your religion has to be all of these things, but you're not even willing to do one of them. You're just pretending that that's important. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisee. It's malignant, it's, 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 it's the virus. It's like the, the leaven just works itself into the whole batch of dough, it can work into all of the areas of our life. Gaining this persona, trying to look like something's real for us when it's not real. I think this is a very important question that we need to ask so that we can grow together, so that we can be real and we can be honest. Are you pretending? Are you pretending that this means something to you? Last week, Rod showed us how um, Jesus then moves into another topic of how money can make us into being some of the greatest pretenders of all. Like before, pre- like the Pharisee. Pretending to give, to look generous, but really just trying to be prideful. But, uh, pretending to be a good steward, 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 steward or shrewd, when really we're just greedy. Pretending to have all kinds of control when we just gain all kinds of money. Don't buy into this. We don't have control. Who by worrying can add one hour to his life, Jesus says. If you want to be rich, be rich towards God, Jesus says in verse 21. If you want to store up for yourselves a bunch of things, then store up for yourselves treasures in heaven in verse 33. How do we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven? It's by having a heart that's focused on Jesus. He's the only person I know for sure is in heaven. So having a heart that's focused on Jesus and the unconditional, unlimited love that he has for me pouring out on me, because you get a heart that's full of gratitude and a heart that's humble and a heart that has no need to pretend anymore. No need to worry because I have a Father in heaven who loves me and cares for me. No need to control everything. Or to pretend like I have control. A heart that is transfixed and focused on my greatest treasure. Then just is waiting for his return and living life in the meantime like that's going to happen at any time. And Jesus says in the last verse, 34. Because where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. So today I want to look at verse 35 to the end of the chapter and see how pretending can get very heavy and can have some serious consequences on your life. Then we take three or four minutes and read uh, verse 35 to the end on your own in in silence and then I'll read it together again and maybe we can uh, share a few thoughts together. Anything you notice? Who's the um, servant in, in in the servant stories? Pardon? Yeah, I think so. Who's the master? Who's the thief? In verse thirty-nine. Who is the judge at the end of the chapter? I think you guys are just very used to me just talking. The whole point, yeah, well, um, please stand. Let me just read this again for us out loud. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 says, Be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table, and he will come and wait on them. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But think about this. If the owner of a house knew what hour a thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or to everyone? And the Lord answered, Who is the faithful and wise manager? Whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food and allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, when he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that a servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in his coming. And he begins to beat the maid servants and the maid servants and eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he's not aware of, and cut him into pieces and assign him a place with unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the servant who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with a few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I've come to bring fire on earth, and how I wish it were kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed am I until it is completed. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family, Divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a, cl- a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And the south wind blows, and you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. Pretenders. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? When do you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to court, try hard to be reconciled with him on the way. Or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. And you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. These are the very words of Jesus. Hazak, hazak. These two stories of the servants that are kind of the main focus of this section here, Jesus, Jesus oftentimes talks in polarity. I mean, it's a teaching device. You know, he's got two trees, one with good fruit and a tree with bad fruit. There's two paths, one that's wide and leads to death, and one that's narrow that leads to life. And in this story, we have two servants. One is faithful, and one is unfaithful. There's a moment that the thrust of the faithful and the unfaithful's lives get, get showed, uh, get revealed. It's when the master returns. We should take that very seriously because I think in verse 40, Jesus is talking about uh, his return as a master. You, you will not know when the Son of Man is coming. It is an hour that you don't know. Um, and so, that moment or think about today because it has caused many people to be paralyzed with fear, to be petrified, to be consistently scared of the coming of the Son of Man. Let me ask you this. When I say that Jesus is coming back, what emotion really comes to, to your heart? Whoa. Is it something that's afraid or is it something that's... Uh, unsure? Is, is it hopeful? Jesus is coming back. That, thank you. That, um, that feeling, uh, it, it tells you something. And so I want to kind of make an argument this morning that there is something for you to be afraid of if you're an unfaithful servant. If you're a faithful servant, you have nothing to fear. So I have two thoughts on uh, this unfaithful servant. First thought is this. The way that he starts thinking leads him down a bad path. The unfaithful servant in verse 45 says to himself, my master is delayed in his coming. How does he know? He doesn't have, he's just gambling. Nobody knows. he doesn't know when the master is, he just knows the master is coming and he's gambling that it's a long ways off. Have you uh, heard the voice of the unfaithful servant lately? I know I have. (laughs) It's been 2,000 years. He's not coming back. I mean, he might be coming back, but he's not coming back right now. He's not coming back today. What are the odds that he'll come back today? Come on, let's go to the beach. Let's do whatever we want to do. My master is delayed in his coming. Or what about the other side of that coin? He's coming back right now. He's coming back tonight, so I'm not going to finish college. I'm not going to do anything I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to be responsible. He's coming back. I'm just going to stand here and click my heels and say, no place like home, or beam me up Scotty, and just wait. Both of these scenarios are full of leaven. Both of these scenarios are pretending. One is pretending that the Lord's never coming back. The other is pretending that the Lord hasn't given us anything to do and no responsibilities, so we just sit here and wait. My master is delayed in his coming. The unfaithful servant gives into the temptation that just because the master isn't here right now, I can do whatever I want. He starts to beat the male servants and, and female servants and starts to eat the food and drink and get drunk and fool around and do whatever he wants. It's an unfaithful servant. Next thing that I notice about this is there's some serious consequences for being unfaithful. (laughs) The unfaithful servant, uh, in verse 47, knows what the master wants him to do, but refuses to do it. And there are serious consequences for that. He knows the will of the master. He knows, I know that I'm supposed to take care of these other servants and be the manager. I know that I'm supposed to distribute this food wisely and be responsible, but I'm not going to do it. I know that I'm supposed to help the poor, and maybe someday I will. I know that I'm supposed to be generous, and when I have more money, I surely will. I know that I'm supposed to be a faithful spouse, but life's too short. I know that I'm supposed to be a sold-out Christian, but you only live once. Unfaithful servants know what the master wants them to do. Come to church every week. Know what he desires and refuse to do it. Are you pretending? There's a serious consequence here. He is beaten with many blows. He's the, the beating of a lifetime. Or he's cut into pieces. Or he is cast out with unbelievers. I don't know if you guys saw that. That's, that's something that is frightening. And I do not want to figure out exactly what that means for me. And I want to get this right because I grew up watching movies like A Thief in the Night. Has anybody seen it? Uh, Left Behind with Kirk Cameron or or whatever. My brother and I used to sing this song. Two men walking up a hill, one disappears, and one left standing still. And it was troubling to my brother and I because we shared a room and we did everything together. And so we'd look at each other and be like, one of us is going to be left standing still. (laughs) I know that it's not going to be me. My grandfather uh, has—he passed away about 20 years ago—and I remember as a kid, my family loves going to the movies, and he would never come with us. And I asked him one day, "Grandpa, why aren't you coming to see Pocahontas with us Uh, or whatever?" And and he said, "I don't want to be at the Pines Theater when the Lord returns." Which is fine. I mean, that's his choice. It's not, I mean, I don't think that's a sinful thing necessarily, but when I'm now older and I'm considering this conviction, you got to ask yourself, where do you draw the line? I don't want to be doing a lot of things when the Lord comes back, but that, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. I don't want to be tying my shoes when he comes, when the Son of Man comes on the clouds and everybody sees about me. It'd be kind of embarrassing. <laughs> But I'm, I'm not going to stop tying my shoes because of that. Think about it. I'm not going to be, you know, okay, he comes back, and I'm standing out in front of the movie theater, and I'm just like, nope, I wasn't in there. I don't know what they're all doing in there. And and Jesus is like, wow, I'm really surprised. I was coming back. I thought it was going to be a big deal, and everybody's just messing around. They, they're not, the servants are not judged solely by the moment that the master comes home. The servants are judged by the, the servants' hearts are revealed when the master comes home. He comes home at an opportune time to show exactly what is in their hearts. Their, their lives are leading to this moment. Their actions are actually leading to this moment. And one of them has been unfaithful, and one of them has been faithful. And this moment will reveal that. I don't think I'm going to be worried about tying my shoes when Jesus comes back. I'm going to be worried about, have I been faithful? Have I been loyal to you? I think that's going to be on a lot of our minds. Something that gets lost in translation here is uh, the word master and the word Lord are the same word. And Peter, it's kind of like this collision of parable and reality. When Peter looks at him and he's like, are you you talking about us? (laughs) Or are you talking to everybody, Lord? If you read Luke, it's been a while since anybody's ever called him that. It's almost like he's just now realizing, master... And Jesus actually says to him, yeah, I am talking about you. As a matter of fact, you are going to have much more responsibility than the people that are also listening. The hypocrisy of the unfaithful servant is that he is pretending that he's a master. The master's gone, so I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to drink whatever I want. I'm going to live however I want. I'm the captain of my faith. I'm the master of my soul. And Jesus says, no. How can you do that? How can you see the weather and say red at night, sailors delight and not see the son of man and see that he's the Lord? How can you pretend to have control over your life? How can you, how can you pretend to be in charge of all of this when I have left this all for you to do? you know that I'm the Lord, and you refuse to live like that. I have not come for peace, he says. I've come to draw a line in the sand and say, anyone who follows me will receive life. If you're found unfaithful, that's something to, that's something to fear. So the next question would be, what's a faithful servant look like? What does it mean to be faithful? Um, I have three thoughts, and they're coming out of verse 35. Be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to return. Number one, be dressed and be ready for action. Now, does that mean that we all have to walk around wearing camo and have flashlights lit up and ready to go? Probably not. And not to to offend anybody that wears camo. I know. I'm from up north. I know the value in being invisible all the time. (laughs) Be dressed and ready for service. Be dressed and ready for service simply means somebody that is ready and prepared for the task that's at hand. Last summer, I had a guy on our softball team come to a game wearing blue jeans and big old work boots, and he says, I'm ready to play. No, you're not ready to play. You're not ready to do the task that's been laid before you. You can't show up at a hockey game with no hockey skates. You're not ready to do this. So how do I get prepared for the task that's at hand? Well, what's the task that the master has left for us to do? Go out into all the world and make disciples. What is making a disciple other than helping someone to submit more and more to the lordship of Jesus? Are you prepared to do that? Are you pretending like you're not prepared to do that? Evaluate the relationships in your life and ask yourself, am I being faithful with these relationships? Am I doing whatever I can to help and come alongside of the people that are around me and say, you are not submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in this area of your life and I want to help you to do that. This is discipleship. Be ready to do that. Be dressed for action. And when the Son of Man comes back and he finds that we have been doing this for our lives, he's going to love it. Number two, keep your lamps burning. Keeping a lamp lit. This is a maintenance thing. The oil lamp requires oil and requires a wick to be trimmed in order to to, to be lit. And it's directly related to the master coming back. So The servants are lighting this lamp, hoping to help the master to come home. So I interpret that as being something that maintains my relationship with the master. This is not spectacular. This is ordinary. This is maintenance. It's every day you have to put oil in the lamp. This is not something that says one time I put oil in the lamp. It was awesome. One time, I trimmed the wick, and, 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 it, and it was great, and it burned really brightly. One time, I prayed. One time, I helped out at uh, Meltrider. One time, I served at the church, and one time, I shared in front of the church, and one time, I went on a mission trip, and it was awesome. This is a daily maintenance thing. This is brushing your teeth. This is something that is required in your relationship with God for it to be healthy. So maintenance in your relationship with the Lord might be, for me, reading the Bible and praying. I don't have a bunch of details. It could be one prayer or it could be a hundred prayers. It could be one verse. It could be a hundred verse. I'm going to put that on you. But are you concerned with having a healthy relationship with the Lord? Are you concerned with maintaining that relationship by doing things that aren't spectacular, by by washing the dishes, by being aware of Him, by continuing to put effort into this relationship? This is what a faithful servant does. He's faithful day in and day out by maintaining this relationship with the Lord. Last thing that I want to say this morning, and Greg, you can get ready uh, with the band, is be waiting. Be, Be like a servant that's waiting. This is another mark of a faithful servant. Waiting is probably one of the most difficult things for us to do here. I get very impatient in lines or red lights. I sometimes justify. I think that the Lord's going to be very angry with me by sitting in front of a light bulb for hours of my life. you know? <laughs> waiting is hard for us to do, but waiting might be one of the most important elements of the legacy that our forefathers have left us. We are a part of a tradition of people who wait. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. The author there is rethinking re, re, about Abraham and Sarah and how they waited faithfully, but how they didn't get what they were promised. They died by faith, and we might die by faith. We might die waiting. What that verse says they they saw what was coming in the distance. They weren't just looking here at the problem that's right in front of me. Or they weren't just giving in to the temptation that's right in front of me. They were looking at a distance and saying, I'm waiting for that. I'm welcoming that to come. And they admitted that they didn't belong here, but they belonged with God. And it says he is not ashamed of them for that kind of faith. Waiting if you have an object that you're waiting for, that your treasure can be a very beautiful thing. Are, are there any people that are engaged here? Waiting. Maintaining that relationship with your fiance and looking forwards and welcoming that day and celebrating the coming by counting down the days, by counting down the minutes and thinking, this is, this is what we're headed towards. I'm waiting. Waiting. This is a faithful servant. When you just keep waiting and you see uh, how that relationship unfolds, you find the master that comes is the master of verse 37. When he finds his servants who are waiting and being faithful, he puts on the clothes of a servant and he bends down and serves them. You start to discover that that's who we're waiting for. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself up as a ransom for many. For he left where he was with God and he came down and took on the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient to the gruesome death on a cross so that he could reconcile all of us unfaithful servants to God. I am not afraid of that. I am not afraid of him coming home. so we have communion set out this morning if you want to celebrate Jesus holding up a bread and saying this is my body broken for you and this is my blood that was shed for you and you want to take that in just like food works you will live a little while longer but if you take Jesus in really you'll live forever and one day stand before him and he'll say welcome home good and faithful servant